to Basecamp for Men. I'm your host, Tony Rezac. This is a show that gives you insights and resources on how to live a more courageous life. We'll be looking at men, the current state of masculinity, and how to create a more inspiring narrative for all men. Welcome and let's get started. I love speaking with people who have risen out of personal challenges, and we all do this at different chapters in our hero's journey. I think it's naturally inspiring for us to hear redemption stories. There's something human and real about somebody who spirals downwards but recognizes their descent before it's too late for more courageous choices. We are imperfect people, learning at each choice point and then sharing what we learned with our tribe. That is the very essence of the hero's journey. And we've been so cultured to cover up our flaws or our mistakes or our character defects as if we're the only ones that have them. It never occurs to us that by revealing more of ourselves to the world, we draw others in. Being authentic with others is like building a campfire. People want to come over and pull up a seat and listen in. It's human nature. And personally, my life got 10 times better and more interesting when I dropped all the pretense that I had it figured out and started to share my faults and blind spots and fears and doubts. I hope these conversations help you in some small way, for we are fellow travelers in the middle of an epic story. My guest today is someone who exemplifies the authentic road. Eric Zimmer is a behavior coach, podcast host, and author. At the age of 24, Eric was homeless, struggling with drug addiction, and facing jail time. In the years since, he not only found a way to overcome these obstacles to create a life worth living, he now helps others do the same. Eric is the creator and the host of the award-winning podcast, The One You Feed, which is based on the old parable about two wolves at battle within us. With over 300 episodes and over 15 million downloads, the show features conversations with experts across many fields of study about how to create a life worth living. Here is my interview with Eric Zimmer. Okay, I'm here with Eric Zimmer, podcast creator, Eric Zimmer. Eric, welcome to Basecamp for Men. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks, Tony, for having me on. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, I was, I've been really excited to talk to you. First of all, I've been listening to the One You Feed podcast. I, As a podcaster, I'm really busy making my own show, but your show is so good. We just, My wife and son and I took a road trip to uh, the Grand Tetons, and we got to listen to your show, and super, super great. I'm recommending it to, to all my friends. So first of all, nice work on it. Thank you. Thank you so much. I understand what you mean about being a podcast creator and only having so much time to to listen to others. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you started the, the name, the one you feed comes from a parable about two wolves. And I thought maybe you could start us off by telling us the parable and maybe giving us a little, where did you, where does it come from? Is it a Native American parable? And uh, yeah, just start by telling us the parable that you kick your show off with. Sure. Um, well, yeah, I'll tell you the parable and then we can talk about its origin, which is essentially no one's really sure. But um, okay. So the parable goes like this. There's a grandfather who's talking with his grandson. He says, in life, there are two wolves inside of us that are always at battle. Mm-hmm. One is a good wolf, which represents things like kindness and bravery and love. And the other is a bad wolf, which represents things like greed and hatred and fear. And the grandson stops and he thinks about it for a second. He looks up at his grandfather and he says, well, grandfather, which one wins? And the grandfather says, the one you feed. Ah, 
So, yeah. so that's the parable. And, and, you know, on one level you hear it and you sort of almost immediately sort of understand what it means. That's, mm. I guess, why it's a parable. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it conveys a lot of information. Yeah, no one's really sure where it's from. Some people say it's Native American. Other people insist it's not Native American. Some people insist Billy Graham made it up sometime, you know, in the 19th or I guess it would have been the 20th century. So I, I just figure, who knows? It came from somewhere. It's a, it's still a useful, useful story. Yeah. What and what does, how does it work for you as a as a metaphor or you know how how is feeding the good wolf, feeding the bad wolf played out for you? And what does it look like today for you? Well, I think you know again on one level we hear it and it's sort of intuitively obvious that the choices that we make matter. Right. You know, what we do with our thoughts and our emotions and our behaviors, those things matter. So, um, you know, on, a, on its most basic level, it's pretty easy to interpret parable. Um, I think obviously it gets a little bit more complex when you start trying to figure out, well, what does that mean? What's the, you know, how, what's the good wolf? What's the bad wolf? You know, mm. you and I talked beforehand about, you know, looking at certain like, policies in the political world. And you're like, well, is that a good wolf policy, bad wolf policy? A lot of times, you know, unintended consequences. Right. Um, but, you know, I think for me, when I first heard it, I was, um, you know, I don't remember exactly, but I would have been within the first three months of starting to recover from heroin addiction. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, it was really clear and really simple. Like at that point, I kind of knew like, here are the things that I can do that are likely to lead me towards recovery and life. And on the other hand, I cannot do those things which will lead me towards um, continued addiction and probably death or at the very least lots of jail time. Yeah, yeah. And so um, it was really simple for me. So it, it, it was very clear. Um, and, and in some ways, I still think there's a lot of parts of it that, that you know, a lot of times we know, we know which wolf we're feeding, mm -hmm. um, the good or the bad wolf. So I think it's, you know, in that way, I think it's sometimes uh, simpler than we make it. You know, a couple of things I really like about that parable is one, it doesn't talk about having to do anything to the bad wolf. You know, we don't have to starve the bad wolf. We don't have to put him in a cage. We don't, we just, you know, we give more attention to the positive. And then the other part of it that I really like is I think it normalizes the fact that we all have these things in us. We all have kindness and bravery and love, and we all have greed and hatred and fear. Those things exist in us. And so, you know, I like that it normalizes what it means to be human, that that's a, that's a normal part of things and that, you know, that we're going to battle with the, those things. That's going to be part of what it means to be a human. So that's the other thing I like about it is just, I think it makes it, makes what we all go through as people more understandable. That's great. That's great. I mean, I, I quit drinking seven and a half years ago and, and has struggled with addiction my whole life as well as part of feeding the bad wolf. And in men's work, we call, we call it shadow and gold, which is borrowing from, you know, Carl Jung. Um, and so shadow would be feeding the bad wolf. And I love what you said about how you're, you're not trying to get rid of it. You can't get rid of these parts. And in fact, um, some of the shadow aspects end up, can end up being gifts and some of your greatest strengths, um, once you start finding balance or you start feeding the good wolf, I think the problem, you know, once I got sober, it wasn't like there wasn't any, I didn't feel shame or a sense of neediness or maybe a sense of smallness. Um, I could still feel those subtle emotions, 
but I wasn't feeding it anymore. So I wasn't beating my head over it with hangovers every morning and that sort of thing. So it, it didn't go anywhere, but I got, I found by feeding the good wolf, I got kinder to myself. Yeah, absolutely. That, that it definitely happens that way for sure. By feeding the good wolf, yeah, we stop reinforcing a lot of those downward spirals. Yeah. Did you, when you, when you, when you got clean, I'm curious, I don't know if you had this experience, like for me, I was thinking about quitting drinking for years and years and years, but it just seemed like my identity was so wrapped up in it. It was this nearly impossible task, even though I knew in my heart, it was going to be good for me. I had built it up as like, there's no way I can do that. And then when I quit and like, even after two months, I looked back and I went, God, that's what it was. That's what I was so afraid of. I feel so much better. And that demon that I had built up as this huge dragon was really not that at all. I don't know about how it was for you. For me, I was like, once I cleared the hurdle and I didn't have any of these intense cravings anymore, um, I was shocked at how like, wow, that was not what I expected at all. Yeah, I mean, and certainly in some ways, you know, when I, I actually have two experiences of getting clean. I got clean at the age of 24 from a heroin addiction, which was pretty low bottom, homeless, yeah. um, you know, facing 50 years in jail time. And then I stayed sober about eight years and then I went mm. back out and I drank again. And my second bottom was very different. I was, you know, making more money than I'd ever made. I was living in a nice house, driving a really nice car. You know, on the outside, everything looked okay. I could tell on the inside that I was just as out of control and I was drinking and smoking pot, not doing heroin. Yeah. Um, so, so I had this, I had this second much, you know, what we call a much higher bottom uh, recovery. And so they're, you know, they were very different for me in the way mm -hmm. those two things felt. But yeah, I certainly think, you know, um, for me, you know, when I got sober the first time, it was, it's just, it was such a different, all of a sudden, a totally different way of life. But I tend to agree with you that, you know, I think what, what became clear to me was how many things I had been fighting mm. that felt like they were five separate fights. Yeah. And that when I got, yeah. suddenly when I got sober, I was like, oh, well, that solved like all those problems. Yeah. Like, it was kind of amazing to me that like, it was, you know, it was all these different things that I thought, oh, the problem is this. And then I've got that problem yeah. and this problem. And then I got sober and all of a sudden it was like, well, look, all those problems disappeared. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. 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 That's great. I, I know my, my wife commented that when I quit drinking, um, I stopped fighting with her late at night, you know, where I was impatient and stuff. And I, I never put two and two together. That's how in the dark I was. But she was like, you know, when, when you got sober, things got better. You got calmer. And I'm like, okay. You know, I, I, I couldn't see it for myself at the time, but she definitely noticed. So. Yeah. I always think it's important to note, like at this, at, you know, like this sort of conversation, I do think it's really useful to note because for some people, and this was the case for me the second time I got sober, things didn't immediately get better. In some ways, things seem like they got worse for a while. And, mm -hmm. and so in a lot of cases, like our drinking or drugs has been a coping mechanism and you just take that coping mechanism away. Sometimes things seem worse for a while. And so Absolutely. I think almost everybody who gets any sort of time in will go, yeah, being sober is way better. Right. But sometimes getting sober is really, really difficult and really, really hard. And I always just say that to encourage people, like if they're in that place, mm -hmm. you know, keep going because it will get, it will be, it will get better, but it can be really difficult. Sure. Sure. Yeah, that's true. Um, 
I wanted to ask you, as, collectively as a society right now during COVID-19, which wolf do we seem to be feeding right now? You know, and what, what would feeding the good wolf look like right now? Are we feeding the good wolf with these narratives that we're being told or, you know, the masks that we're wearing? Which, which wolf are we feeding uh, right now, in your opinion? Oh, boy. Well, that assumes that everybody's feeding the same wolf, which yeah, we're cle yeah. clearly not. Right. And I think that's part of where the challenge is, you know, is is I think, you know, like a lot of things, COVID-19 has become a, 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 a right versus a left mm -hmm. debate. And, and each side thinks they're feeding the right wolf and the other side's feeding the wrong wolf. So yeah. I have my own sort of opinions there. Yeah. Um, you know, I tend to think that the that we ought to, when in doubt, we ought to feed the wolf that seems to follow science. That's just a personal sure. belief of mine. Yep. Um, but that's not everybody's belief. So I don't, you know, I don't know that, I don't know that we know. I think it's, um, you know, I also don't think any of us know the right path forward. I think when you get into something as complicated as as what should a national response to a pandemic be, mm -hmm. you are in really complicated territory. Right. Because you're you're trying to balance really nuanced things like, okay, well, we probably need to open up the economy because the economy means like means more you know some people say the economy as if it's this gr awful thing like the economy only means hedge fund managers right the right. economy is like what provides well-being to everyone so on one hand you know discussions about opening the economy some of those discussions are really valid because it's like well what about social service programs what about mm -hmm. you know so so on one hand, we've got that. And then on the other hand, you've got, well, I'm trying to balance human life. And so I think that what we need, which we do not have, is nuanced discussion. Mm -hmm. You know, right. I think right. what we don't have is actual deep policy discussion to solve complex issues. And that's what this is. This is complex. Absolutely. You know, the, the, the way to move forward is not just the answer isn't just if everybody wore a mask, this problem would go away. Or if people stopped talking about masks, we wouldn't have a problem. I mean, it goes a lot deeper than that. And I think where our biggest fundamental problems are right now is we don't seem to be able to have any sort of nuanced discussion between the right and the left about the challenges we're facing. And I would say that to me looks to be the, the bigger problem than, you know, than, than necessarily any single response. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, to be fair to the media on both sides, um, they, it's so slanted and there's so much hysteria around it um, that you can't even have a, a, like a, a reasonable discussion about certain things and get all sides without somebody calling somebody an idiot. Like just for instance, I saw there was a, a, some doctors that said, Hey, look, vitamin C really, really works well. Well, they didn't even get any play. It got completely torpedoed by the media that said, what a stupid idea to think vitamin C could actually be effective against COVID-19. I'm like, well, you're not you're not providing any sort of analysis of it. You're just shooting it down from one side of the political spectrum. And you're seeing that a lot with stuff is like something gets put out there that might help people, but then the media immediately is taking a torpedo to it because it doesn't serve a particular agenda. Um, it's frustrating. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I feel, I feel a lot of frustration mm -hmm. um, about, about those, about those pieces. And, you know, I find it, 
increase. You know, what I, what I wish I could find more of, and I find it really hard to, to locate, is actual really good discussion about the different points from intelligent viewpoints on both sides. Everybody finds, everybody, everybody has a hard time finding it. It's almost like we're living in a time when we have to piecemeal stuff together. You get a little bit over here, a little bit over there, because you can't rely on one uh, uh, media source. Um, and I think it's probably one of the reasons why people go to Twitter and stuff, because maybe they can find, you know, blog articles and, and maybe even studies that, that are, they're not finding in, on the television. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Yep. For sure. Yeah. Have you ever have you ever um, listened to any of Joe Martino stuff? He's the podcaster for Collective Evolution. No, but I think that's the second time in like two weeks I've heard that title of that um, of that organization. And no, I haven't. You should go check him out. You you could probably get him on the show. I think I'm getting somebody else that's in that organization over here to interview him. But you might be able to get Joe. Um, go check out some of his stuff because he's he's presenting all kinds of stuff. It's you know, somebody might say, oh, it's all conspiracy theory stuff, but it's really not. He's got lots of science on there. He's got lots of really great guests and he's got this neutrality about him that I find really, really refreshing. It's investigative journalism, but he, he goes right for it and it's not slanted. He's just trying to open up understanding on complex issues like you had said. So go check him out. He's really cool. I will. I will. Thanks. And, um, oh, I wanted to ask you too, um, uh, that, uh, if you had any teachings, we, you and I have been seekers. We've kind of, I noticed in your bio and your library of your recommended books, you, we've read a lot. Uh, we've kind of patched together our spiritual path, sobriety and all that. And I was curious if there was any particular books or teachers that you recommend or that are particularly timely now. Hmm. That's a great question. Um, there's a, a Buddhist teacher, Pema Chodron, who is always particularly timely, but she's particularly timely now because she talks a lot about uncertainty. And uh, boy, do we live in a time of uncertainty. So that's the first one that sort of came to mind for me is, is she's, really, she's really good at, 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 at talking about that topic. And I think that's a big one for a lot of us right now because we just don't know what's going to happen. And yeah. I mean, I would argue we always live in times of a great deal of uncertainty. It's just that for most of us, we just weren't that aware of it. Yeah. But, um, but it's certainly in our face right now. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, she's great. I have a few of her books and she, she's got a great sense of humor too. That's what I like about her writing. Yeah. She's so, yep. she's so human and she's kind of funny. You know, she's a funny Buddhist teacher. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. She's, yep. she, so yeah, that's great. And, you know, we're hearing a lot about liminal space. I, I hear that in the writings of Paul Dunyon and Charles um, Eisenstein and, and um, this liminal space, this idea that we're in between stories. Um, and I just wanted to ask you what, from where you're sitting, what stories are we in between right now? Like, where are we moving to? We're kind of in this, like you had said, this time of uncertainty. Um, and what are some of the maybe old stories that aren't serving us anymore? Well, I think, you know, a story that speaks to deeper spiritual truth is the one that we are all more interconnected than we think. And um, I think, you know, that that could be a... Uh, a story that we're we're moving towards. We're moving out mm -hmm. of a story that says, you know, I, me, mine, and moving towards a story that really 
recognizes how deeply interconnected everything is. The pandemic is a very clear, you can see it much more clearly. Yeah. Um, but again, I think it's a thing that's been true. You know, if something's true now, it's true. It was true then. Um, I guess that's a, that's not always true. <laughs> right, 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 right. But, but I, but deeper truths tend to be true. You know, if we're talking about deeper deep truths about the nature of reality, those don't tend to change a ton. And I think the fact that we, that, that everything is interconnected is, is, a, is a fact that we've conveniently ignored for a long time and is becoming harder to. And so yeah. I'm hoping that maybe that's one story, you know, one place we're in between the old story of, you know, I, me, mine, and a, and a newer story that is much more recognizing of how interconnected everything really is. And I think it's a story we really need to learn because, you know, if epidemiologists are right, this may not be the only pandemic we've got coming down the pike. And if, you know, certainly, uh, you know, climate science is pointing to the fact that like, oh boy, are we, are we making a real mess for ourselves? Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and that's a, that's gonna, I think that's going to show interconnection in ways that uh, we wish we weren't seeing, but I think we are going yeah. to see. I agree. I agree. I, I, I like that. It's beautifully said that we're, we forget that we're interconnected, but we're, I'm seeing it in a lot of people's writings, not just mystics that I seek out um, or quantum physicists that also say the same thing, this interconnected energy, this one consciousness. I'm seeing it written about more and more and more from a lot of different angles. And so it seems like this evolution of consciousness that we're arriving at a recognition of ourselves as, as one, one consciousness, I guess is one way of saying, or unity consciousness, as I've heard it said, um, it's super exciting, but it's also very scary because, um, it looks to me, I live in Seattle that the old structures are teetering and crumbling. Um, you know, they're, there's a lot of chaos right now. And um, yeah, it's like this yin and yang or this polarity between the old story and the new, like the the oldest, it seems like we're almost living in a crumbling empire, right? Where it's like the, the old guard is not going to be able to take us across the bridge. We have to take ourselves across the bridge in our own recognition. Yeah, well, we might be living in a crumbling empire. I mean, I think the thing that's interesting about the world is we tend to only see it from our viewpoint. And, you know, I often, I often talk about, you know, for people, I often bring up, you know, there's a ton of, if you wanted, there's a ton of statistics out there that if we looked at them would say the world is unequivocally becoming a better place. Right, right. You know, on, there. I mean, I think, again, if you just want to look at basic data, number of people that are hungry, number of people that are, you know, dying from preventable diseases, number of, you know, uh, deaths under the age of five, amount of the world that lives in child labor, the amount of the world that's literate, right? Those things keep going up, 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 pretty dramatically in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. So what can look like a crumbling empire in one part of the world can look like a great deal of progress in another part of the world. It's and true. we see it only, you know, we tend to see it through our, our lens, you know? Yep. Um, now, again, I think the pandemic is putting stress on the world collectively in ways that, that, that are a little bit different in that it's, it's happened in a lot of cases, but I do think, I do think it's possible that, you know, that, that America is a crumbling empire, Mm -hmm. which would be a very bad thing for those of us in America and might be a very 
lovely thing for lots of other people. I don't know. Sure. But unfortunately, you and I are in America. So, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we have a, we have a vested interest in, in hoping that this empire isn't crumbling. I, the, the British empire is my, uh, is my hope. They lost a lot of their empire and still seem to generally be doing okay. So I'm hoping we can, we can, we can coast like they are. Are you, are, are you optimistic about things right now overall? I tend to be an optimistic person in general. Um, yeah. So yes, I, I, I am optimistic, except for, I, I think the thing that I'm not optimistic about is climate change. Mm. And, and climate change could be such a big problem that it could blot out all the other optimism. I Got mean, it. I do think it does appear that the, the, that, as a world, we are solving lots of really big problems that are out there. You know, they're getting better, you know, poverty. And I mean, yeah. again, there's, I'm not, not saying there's not lots of problems out there. You know, even our racial relations that are in our face right now. And, and I'm, you know, I'm very strongly in favor of, of what we're seeing happen right now mm -hmm. as far as really bringing these things more to the surface and fighting for them. But I also think it's unquestionable that as a, as a world, we have made progress sure, right, on sure. those issues, you know, or gay rights. We've made a tremendous amount of progress. So yes, I tend to be um, somewhat optimistic in general, but climate change is the one that causes me to go, well, geez, that could cancel all those bets. Right. So you think that's the big elephant that we're working on other things that, and we're progressing in other ways, but climate change, you look at the data and go, uh-oh, I don't know if we can turn a corner on this in time kind of thing. Yeah, it, it looks, it looks yeah. really, I mean, to me, it looks really alarming and it, yep. you know, and I just don't, I think the problem is we just don't know what the hell is going to happen. But if mm -hmm. you start talking about making significant parts of the world, um, uninhabitable and you start talking about causing uh, potential refugee crises of the yeah. size that we're talking about, I think that throws any sort of global stability into great chaos. And I think that part of the reason we've seen so much progress in 30 years of things like poverty and disease and global literacy and all those things is that we've had a relatively stable global order. Again, you can point to small spots that aren't that way. Right. But compared to the, to the you know, the sort of things like World War I and World War II, we've had a pretty long stretch here of a relatively stable global order, which has allowed us to turn our attention to a lot of these other problems. And if climate change causes some of the types of disruption worldwide that we're talking about, that may throw all that out the window. And in a time of great chaos, you just don't make a lot of progress on making the world a better place. You're just in survival mode. That's true. That's true. Yeah, well said. Um, I was going to shift gears. I wanted to ask you about your podcast. Um, this is kind of a self-serving question because I, 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 you've had great success at it. How many episodes are you in now? 300 something? Yeah, that that's the number I know. Somewhere above three. In the yeah, yeah. How many years you've been Probably doing 350. it? Three hundred fifty. I think we're like six and a half. I think six and a half. Do you ever take a break? Or do you ever do breaks? <laughs> or do you just run it? Like I took a I took a long break. Well, I had to change employers and RSS feeds and all that stuff. So it took me a little while to get back for season two. And I, but I I I don't I can't imagine just doing them every week all year long without having a little bit of a breather. I don't know how you feel about that or what you've done, but um, I need a little bit of a break just to catch my breath, you know? 
Well, I think you're clearly a wiser man than I am. You just um, go. <laughs> we've just we've just gone. There's there's a couple. I mean, there are some weeks that we will re-release an episode. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So I think maybe we've done that, maybe ten to fifteen times in three hundred and fifty episodes. That's impressive. That's really impressive. <laughs> so yeah, we just sort of you know, we just sort of set this pace. And, you know, I, I think back then nobody was talking about doing podcasting in seasons. And, you know, yeah. before we knew it, we just knocked out a few couple years of it. And it was like, well, it's sort of hard to turn that off now. And, right. you know, I, I think we grow slightly superstitious in things. And I'm hesitant to monkey with a formula that seems to work. Absolutely. Well, Eric, other than your show, uh, are there any other creative projects like programs, workshops that you'd like to our listeners to know about? I know you have like a like a, almost like a spiritual coaching program. You want to tell us a little bit about that or what you got going on? Sure, sure. Yeah, we've we've got in addition to the in addition to the podcast, we've got two sort of other things we do. One is I call it the personal transformation program, and it's one on one coaching where I basically help people to make changes in their life that they want to make. So, you know, ideal, you know, the ideal candidate for that is somebody who's been trying to make some sort of change and hasn't been able to. So mm -hmm. whether that be somebody who's trying to launch a business and can't seem to get the time in on it or build an exercise or a meditation habit, or um, I work with authors who are stuck, PhD candidates who are, who are stuck in their dissertation. So that's one aspect. And then the other aspect is something, it's a program I call Spiritual Habits. And I deliver this both as a workshop or as a, as a group program and a one-on-one -on -one program. And really what that is, is taking some, you know, uh, spiritual principles that most people would agree with and align with things like acceptance and mindfulness and generosity, but then applying the science of behavior change to those principles to really talk about how do we get more of those in our lives, you know, because I think the biggest, as I looked at spiritual transformation, I found the biggest problem to be one of remembering. And it would be that like I could remember to meditate every day, but then I would get up and then I would go about all the rest of the hours of my day and I would just forget about whatever it is that I wanted to, to the other ideas I wanted to live. I'd forget to be present. I'd forget to be mindful. I'd forget, oh, I can accept this. Or I'd forget, oh, I could apply a different perspective to this. Or, And so the, the program is taking the science of behavior change and really trying to think about how we can thread these spiritual principles through all the moments of our lives. Well, not all, because that's impossible, but more of the moments of our lives so that um, we actually get more transformation out of it. So that's what that program is happening right now. Uh, we'll be, we'll be launching another week um, as a group program. So that's the one I'm excited about the most right now. That's great. That's great. We'll get, we'll put it out um, on this episode and we'll let everybody know about it. But Eric, thanks so much for coming on the show and thank you for all the great work you do with the One You Feed podcast. Uh, we love it. We listen to it. And thanks for your time today. It was really generous of you and, and uh, let's do it again sometime. Thank you, Tony. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed our talk with Eric Zimmer. To find out more about his programs or to listen to his excellent podcast, go to www.theoneyoufeed.net. And if you're new to Basecamp for Men and like our conversations here, please subscribe and share with the friends that you think might like it. As well, please go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Every little bit helps. Thank you so much, listeners. I greatly appreciate it. That's our show for today. Thank you for listening. 
Men, good luck in all your endeavors and good luck on your hero's journey. This is Tony Rezac, and you're listening to Basecamp for Men.